So we are talking about the book of the Song of Solomon. You will remember last week we spoke about how God's love is like a fire, passionate, unstoppable, and how it awakens us to life, how it, it breathes on us and breathes us back to life, how it calls out to us and causes us to become everything we are meant to be. We talked about how Solomon in this book that was written about 3,000 years ago was writing to someone called the Shulamite. And we heard that the Shulamite actually is the feminine form of Solomon and that Solomon was writing to his Solomoness, his exact partner, the one that completely fit with him. His perfect counterpart. <laughs> you want one of those, Martin? Your Martiness, it's on the way, it's on the way. Those of you at the back who don't know what's going on, Martin's just having a moment here at the front thinking about the one that he will find. We learned about how Adam found him at his Adamess, so to speak, in Eve. The perfect one, the exact counterpart taken out of his side, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. And then we discovered how Jesus Christ, as he hung on the cross, was wounded in his side. And at that moment, as he was asleep, as Adam had been asleep, God took out of his side his Christess, the church of the living God his exact counterpart, the one that exactly matches him, the one that thrills him that he says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And we learned about how Solomon writing this love story 3,000 years ago to this shepherdess woman, this peasant girl as he was king and calling her to greater intimacy, calling her to a relationship with him, adoring her beauty and telling the world of how magnificent she was. We learned how this love story is not just about a man and a woman, but it is about Christ and his church. And that as we read this book, we can hear more than just, or get, get examples of more than just great notes to write to the one that we want to, we want to bring close to us. But we can learn about how God sees us. We can learn about how we are meant to relate to Jesus Christ as our, the great lover of our soul, as the, the king who has called up, us up to something greater than we could have had on our own. So Lord, I pray that as we continue with this book, Lord God, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord God, that you would come and set us free from small thinking about ourselves, about Jesus, about the church. Lord, I ask that today we would have a revelation of your love to a greater extent than we have ever had before. Lord God, I pray that it would awaken us to life. I pray that it would do something spectacular in our hearts. Thank you, Father. And all of God's people said amen and amen. amen. So as we read through this, this book, which I would encourage you to go and read on your own, we get it's eight chapters, and as we spoke last week, the eighth chapter is kind of the culmination of this courtship between this, the king and the Shulamite, and there's this incredible passage that we spoke about last week in which Solomon just extols his great and passionate love to her, and really we hear of Christ's incredible love for us, the church. If we step back a little bit, 
right in the middle of the book, in chapter 4. It's really one of the... It's one of those chapters I almost find difficult to read because it is so very intimate. It's like you, it's like you are kind of like peeking into a relationship that you shouldn't really be seeing. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, really? I don't know how you feel, but when uh, I'm watching movies and they start kissing, I always just block my eyes because I feel like, you know, and I'm kind of looking into someone's bedroom. I shouldn't be, shouldn't be seeing this. But somehow I f- when, I, when I read chapter four, I almost feel like that. It's like, oh my word, this is so intimate and so real and so raw. But he begins that chapter and he says, you are beautiful, my love. You are beautiful. And then he gets to verse 8 and he says this. He says this, in you there is no flaw. Now, guys, I'm sure she was fantastic. Really, I'm sure she was fantastic. But of this, I am absolutely convinced she had some flaws. You know, I'm absolutely convinced of that because I have met a lot of people, a lot of fantastic people. I've met some beautiful, glamorous, magnificent women, and I want to say they all had a flaw. You know how it is. There are, there are no human beings. There are no perfect human, human beings. But I want to ask you this. If you are married here, do you remember the first time you saw the one that was going to become your spouse? Do you remember when they walked in the room? Do you remember when somehow they did something and they came to your attention? In your heart, you said, oh, my word. In that one, there is no flaw. You know what I'm saying? Your, your absolute wonder at them caused you to look past all the obvious things that everyone else was seeing that were wrong with them. And in your eyes, they were just magnificent. It's almost like love has the power to look past the obvious weaknesses, misdemeanors, and call you up to to a greatness that you don't have if you're not in that place of being loved. It It like reaches into your heart and makes you greater. Someone I know quite closely tells a story of how many years back, she had had some disappointments in life and she had decided that because God had disappointed her so much, she was going to just walk away from God and live her life like she wanted to. So she did. She walked away and she started behaving badly and living in a way that previously she would have found deplorable. She found it extremely difficult to do. (laughs) She had to work hard at being bad. But what she found is that every day that she came home, the minute she put her bag down, the presence of God would just fill the room. And in her heart, she would sense him saying this, you're beautiful to me. And she said it made her so angry. Because here she was, here she was trying to hurt God, you know, she's trying to, snub him, turn away from him, make him sad that he disappointed her. And here he was just saying the very things that she wasn't expecting. And so she would like, ah, just ignore it and go on. Next day she would arrive home, put down her bag and presence of God, you're beautiful to me. And this went on day after day after day. Finally, she sat on the end of her bed and she said, okay, God, Okay, God, I don't feel beautiful. 
but for the first time in my life, I would like to be beautiful for you. And in that moment, she surrendered to him, came back to the Lord and has lived a life full of glory and grace ever since and full of just intimacy with God and has turned away from that lifestyle and just been drawn back to him by his unfailing love. And, and I feel like in that moment, although she knew deep down that she had flaws, it was like he was looking at her and saying, in my eyes, you have no flaw. In my eyes, you are more beautiful than you can imagine. In my eyes, I see my son in you. And I'm calling out that greatness. I'm looking at you and saying, see yourself as I see you. Stand up and be the one that I love. So after Solomon has extolled the absolute beauty and said in, in you the, there is no flaw, he goes on and says this. He says, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. You know, the Bible is so great. When it says there, you have captivated my heart. You know what it literally says? It literally says, you have made my stupid mind intelligent. <laughs> In other words, when I saw you, I came to my right mind. When I saw you, it put everything in perspective. Another, uh, that's kind of like the figurative meaning of it, but, but the exact meaning is they use that phrase to talk about when they needed dough. I don't kind of understand how it fits in, but, but when he's saying you're captivating my heart, he's saying literally my mind feels like needed dough when I look at you. Have you ever made bread? Men, I doubt it. But women, do you know what I'm talking about? You know how you pummel that dough and kind of... He's saying, you make my mind like mushy bread. <laughs> some, of you are, some of you are not getting this. He's talking about this mind-blowing experience he has when he sees her. That it's, it's messing with his mind. It's messing with him. It's like when he sees her, it's, it's like his mind is going from one place to another. Again, remember when you first saw her, when you first saw him. You know, you couldn't even remember your name. You went up to greet her and said, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you have captivated my heart. And you know what? I just wonder... I just wonder, when Jesus looks at you, what does he experience in his heart? I mean, if this is an analogy of his love for the church, is it possible that when he looks at you, it's like, oh my word, I cannot believe that anything that beautiful exists. Oh my word, I cannot believe the magnificence that I'm seeing. He goes on and he says something interesting, my sister, my bride. And I guess I want to ask you this question. You will see how it relates in a moment. Have you ever walked into a test completely unprepared? Yeah, don't raise your hand because my children are in here and I don't want them to know that it's even a possibility. <laughs> but perhaps you've walked into a test unprepared and perhaps like these children, you kind of answered the questions like this. 
draw a plant cell and identify its most important parts. And completely unaware of what a plant cell is, you drew a little flower in a prison cell and labeled them no windows and iron bars, hoping desperately that the teacher would find it funny. Perhaps you, you went in and you got this question. Bob has 36 candy bars. He eats 29. What does he have now? Diabetes. Bob has diabetes. <laughs> Perhaps you answered it that way. Also, again, desperately trying to hide your lack of knowledge. Another one. What ended in 1896? 1895. You're absolutely right. You know what I'm saying? You should get 100% for that test. But you know, sometimes I think <laughs> we feel like we hit life like that. You know what I'm saying? Completely unprepared for what we face. And trying desperately to just pull out some kind of answer from this... Uh, from our memories and coming up with things that vaguely make sense. But here's the question, what? What if the teachers who are marking those tests looked and then said, gosh, everything's wrong, but you know what, I'm just gonna give them 100%. I mean, you would say, what kind of school? Talk about a crisis in education. But I'm here to tell you that though we have answered life's questions often in that kind of manner, Jesus Christ looking at your life and marking the test with a big red pen at the top of your paper is writing 100%. You're saying sacrilege. How can he do that? I know who I am. How can he call me beautiful? How can he give me 100%? How can he love me like that? How can he give me that stuff? It's, it's beyond comprehension. It seems wrong. It seems unjust. It seems like I deserve less than this. This is the glory of Jesus is that he hung on the cross, was punished for your weakness, for your bad test results. He did the detention for you so that he could give you 100% on your life's test. He says, they're my sister, my bride. And what is so interesting about that is when he says, my sister, he's literally calling her his equal. My sister. What is he actually doing? You get it, you get it. Sorry, I took you on a little bit of a journey. You at the back there, did you get it? Do I need to say it again? You got it. You didn't get it. <laughs> so Solomon stands there. And he looks at this woman. He's the king of the nation. And he looks at this woman who's, 
who's a lowly, lowly peasant girl. And he says to her, my sister. It literally means my equal. My equal. When she didn't deserve it, his love looks at her heart and pulls her up and says, come and stand face to face with me. Though you're weak, you've answered the tests wrong, you've, you've not done what you should have. My love is drawing you up and creating a perfection in you that you could not create on your own. I'm calling you up as my equal, as my counterpart, as the one that we will look straight in each other's eyes. Have you ever been to an amusement park and they have those incredible rides and maybe you were four or five and there was this roller coaster that looked so spectacular and you really wanted to be on that roller coaster and you got to the entrance and they had this line there that said only people over this height can go in and you were this height and like the desperation you know you quickly went and ate four hamburgers and came back and stood and ah oh, no I haven't grown you know you did everything stood on your toes nothing could get you there you were completely inadequate to get in. And you know, when we look at heaven, the truth is we are completely inadequate to get in. We are completely inadequate to get into God's presence. Yet he comes there and he says, my equal, my bride. What does he do? He takes you and says, the standard is right here, six foot. But he takes you and he picks you up and he puts you on his shoulders and without any effort on your part, you exceed the line. You and him together are 10 foot tall, way beyond the necessary height. And I feel like when God looks at us and he says, my equal, my bride, I know men that feel so weird to you. Just think of the equal part. But my equal, my bride, what is he, what's he saying? He says, though you have messed up, though you are not perfect, though you have hurt people, though you've been hurt, though you've misunderstood, though you didn't love me like you should have, my love, love has found you and I will lift you up to the place where you will be exactly as I created you to be. You will be perfect in my eyes. You will be without flaw. You will be worthy of my love, worthy of my presence, ready to come in above the mark, exceeding expectations. The Bible says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. You've heard of the concept of justification. This is literally what it is, is that Jesus Christ does this. He looks at you and he sees that you don't meet the mark. You have fallen short of the glory and he says this, Though you have fallen short of my glory, I take you by the hand and I pick you up and I put you there as if you had not. He calls her his bride. You know what, I just, I think that as Christians we often miss this point. If you read the Bible, you will find a God his, who is so extremely emotional that it will shock you. I know there are some men here and some women here that you have been taught that emotions are bad. You have been told, stop being so emotional. 
I'm, I wonder if there's a woman here who hasn't been told that. <laughs> and probably sometimes for good reason. But... But human beings have emotions because we are created in the image of God. And everything you feel, he feels deeper than you've ever imagined. He can relate to the heartache. He can relate to the joys. He can relate to the pain. He can relate to the ecstasy. He can relate to the fears. He can relate to the, the anguishes. He can relate to the anger. He can relate. At the same time, he never meant his relationship with you to be devoid of emotion. He never meant his relationship with you to be an intellectual exercise. He meant your relationship with him to be full of understanding, full of action, but he meant it also to be a heart-to-heart -heart connection. He meant you to feel his love. He meant you to experience his presence. He meant joy to be a daily portion. He meant that you would have his, the fullness of who he is, the, an experience, a physical and emotional experience of that. One of the most famous verses in the Old Testament, the Jews called it, even had a special name for it, and they considered it the most holy verse in their Old Testament. It goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and strength. Th two out of those three things that you're meant to love, the Lord your God with a heart and soul, were deeply emotional aspects of human beings. Your heart was the seat of your emotions. The soul was your innermost being. From the very start, God said, this is going to be an emotional connection between you and me. He goes on and he says, you have captivated my heart with one glance of your eye. Of your eyes. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. Have you ever looked someone directly in the eye and the light was just right? And in the middle of their, their eye reflected, you saw your, your reflection. Have you ever had that experience? Sometimes they're wearing dark glasses and you can see it really well. You can actually adjust your hair. <laughs> but there are a number of times... In the Old Testament, God speaks to Israel and he says, you're the apple of my eye. And that literally means the pupil of the, my eye, the very center of my eye. What is he talking about when he says that? Because it sounds like a pretty obscure thing. But what he's literally saying is, anytime you turn your attention to me and look at me, in the middle of my eye, you will see yourself. What he's saying is that any moment that you look at me, you will see that I am looking at you. That there is never a moment that I am not, that my gaze is not turned towards you. You have captivated my attention. In other words, there's not a moment that your image is not reflected in the middle of my eye because I am looking at you. So what does that mean? 
It means that at any moment, if we take the time to look, we will notice that God's attention is upon us. There's something, there's something else that he says um, in the Old Testament, which I find so interesting. He says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal or holy, complete to him. And you know, I think that when we think about God's gaze being continually on us, I feel like what he's doing is he's, he's looking deep into all of our hearts. And he's, he's noticing how much of your heart is turned towards him. And not out of judgment or criticism, but he is longing that every part of your heart be turned towards him. What that means is that even those hidden, sinister parts that you don't like about yourself, that they would be turned towards him. That your likes, your dislikes, everything would be turned towards him. And why is that? Not because he's like this mean God that I demand every part of you. But he knows that those part of your heart that are with him are the parts that will be blessed. And the desire of his heart is to show himself strong on your behalf. The desire of his heart is to undergird those very things that you long after. To undergird your, your dreams, your mission, your calling. And the problem is that when parts of our heart are turned in another direction, in essence what we are saying is, that part of my heart doesn't really need Jesus. That part of my heart can make it on its own. I can, I can get through this workday all alone. I know my stuff. I know how to make this relationship work. I know, I know how to manipulate this situation and get what I want. And in essence, you're saying, God, I need you in these. Come, come bless my finances. Come give me the right car. Come do these nice things for me. But you know what? Over here, I'll, I'll take care of this other stuff. And there is a God who knows so well how you work that he is looking and saying, turn every part to me so that I can not only bless the, part, the parts that I have been blessing, but I can bless everything. He finishes with this. He says, you have captivated my heart with one jewel of your necklace. I wonder if you have ever thought about this, that this was a peasant girl that Solomon was courting. Any jewels that she had, I guarantee you she didn't get them herself. Any jewels that she had had been given to her by him. And what he's saying is that the way I have adorned you is captivating my heart. Have you ever played one of those computer games? 
where you have to collect jewels. Look, the older generations here, you're saying, what are you talking about? For all the younger generation, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, those games you, you've played in the middle of sermons or in board meetings, you know, under the table. You know, when you walk along that corridor, um, you've, you've dodged the ogres and the traps and whatever, and then there's a jewel on the side. And this is what I love about those games. You don't have to do anything to the jewel. You just have to walk through it. You know what I'm talking about? You just walk through the jewel and bam, you have it. They've got to invent something better than that in games. But nonetheless, that's all there is. And I often think about it, wouldn't it be great if life were that easy? You know, that, all, that you could just see something nice over there, you know, like a, a million rand lying on the side of the road and you could just walk through it and bam, you had a million rand. Or there could be a job offer on the side of the road. You could just walk through it and you had the job offer, you know. Or a beautiful dress, just walk past it and <laughs> there you've got it. I mean, I'd love life to be that easy. But Paul said this to the Ephesians. He said, for you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. You know what, whenever I read that verse, whenever I read that verse, I'm back in a computer game. And all I can see is like me walking down these tunnels and on the side is like good works all over the place. And all I have to do is just keep walking and walk into them and have them. It's almost like he's saying before the creation of time, I just, I just hid these jewels of good works all along your path. And all you have to do is just keep walking and, and bam, you're going to walk into them. You're going to be spectacular. You're going to find yourself succeeding. You're going to find yourself praying for people and them getting healed. You're going to find yourself speaking in board meetings and wisdom coming out of your mouth that you didn't know you have. You're going to be saying, gosh, please record that. I want to hear that later. <laughs> You're going to find yourself just performing at a level that is beyond your ability. Why? Because you just walked into that good work. You just kept walking with Jesus down that corridor and bam, there it was. You're going to find yourself experiencing things that are you behaving in a way that is so much better than you ever thought you were. You're going to find yourself loving people when you couldn't. I remember just after I got saved, I, I, didn't, I, mean, I didn't have a great relationship with my parents. and I got saved and then they, one night they were going out to some friends and they came to say goodnight to all of us children. And out of my mouth I heard myself saying, bye mom and dad, have a great time. And you know, as I was saying it, I thought, gosh, that sounds like a nice person. <laughs> I was like, how did that happen? How did I get nice so quickly? And you know, I was like, oh, yeah, it's like, it's like I just walked into that good work. Bam. I just found myself being better than I ever was before. Why? Because I was, I was hidden in Christ and he just adorns me with jewels that I don't deserve. And every day when he looks at me, he's looking at far more than just me. He's looking at me adorned with jewels that I don't deserve, adorned in magnificent, good works, powerful illustrations of his kingdom that I don't deserve. God's love lifts us up to a place of face-to-face -face relationship. 
paying attention to this love, brings his strength to bear on any situation. And paying attention to that, that love leads us to victorious good deeds that he has already planned for us. The love of God is so much more than we deserve. As that lowly peasant girl found herself in Solomon's presence, being called things she knew she wasn't, being adorned with things she didn't deserve, being told that she's flawless when she knew for a fact that she was less than that. And yet the very act of being loved by him drew her up to a place that she could not have been on her own. And I'm going to ask that each of us, as we walk with the Lord, that we allow our minds to understand that his love for us is really not dependent on how great we are. It's dependent on how great he is. And at every moment we have a choice whether to notice his love, to turn our hearts and give every part of it, abandon ourselves to that love, to receive those jewels, to receive that magnificence and say, though I don't feel beautiful, at this moment, I really want to be beautiful for you. And I will stand in that blessing. I will stand in that power. I will stand in that magnificence. And I will be what your love says I am, not what I say I am. I will be what your love says I am, not what the world says I am, not what my parents say I am, not what my past says I am. I will stand and be the love of your heart. Amen. Can we pray? Father, I ask... Lord God, I know, I know this blows our mind. It blows our mind because, Lord God, it's hard for us to believe that God could be this good. And Father, I'm asking, I'm asking that you would come and just annihilate our wrong thinking. Lord God, the places where we have been programmed to think too small, to think in a limited way. I pray you would break through that and you would give us a conscious understanding that there, are not, there is nothing impossible for you. You would give us a conscious understanding that your goodness and your love calls us up to a higher place than we have ever lived in before and that you would give us the courage to step up there to be your sister, your bride, to stand next to you, adorned with the jewels of the good works that you have prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.